Welcome to the sixth episode of the Empower One Network Conversations podcast. My name is Chad Vanver, and I have the privilege of serving as the director of the Empower One Network, uh, where we are planting churches that plant churches until Jesus comes back. And I'm really excited uh, today to get to uh, introduce you to our guest speaker, uh, one of my good friends for, for a long time now, Neil Cole. Uh, Neil has uh, written 15 books. His latest book is on prayer. Uh, our team at Empower One was so blessed by that book, and we went through it together as a team. It really impacted uh, the way that we pray about the ministry that we get to be involved in in Northeast Africa. And so, uh, as you know, it has been said many times, there's no movement without prayer. And so uh, I'm really grateful for Neil's book. And Neil and I met in Cologne, Germany in 2005 at a Catholic hostel. And I was so impressed with the way that he communicated uh, church planting movements, especially organic church planting movements in the way uh, that the church can be on mission. Um, and uh, from that, that first opportunity to learn from Neil, I kept asking for more. I kept inviting him back to uh, different places in the U.S. and in Canada and uh, then now uh, Neil has uh, taught for us uh, with our team uh, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And so we're really excited uh, that he's joining us today. And then as always, I'm joined uh, by the Empower One leaders, uh, Mike Congrove, uh, who is the U.S. co-founder and executive director of Empower One, uh, Matt Jones, who's the director of our spiritual development, and, uh, and also helps lead our seminary from the U.S., Northeast Africa Theological Seminary. And, uh, and then Zach Potts, who's leveraged his roofing business to be our South Sudanese uh, representative. And Zach, I believe you're, you're planning on uh, spending some time in South Sudan this summer, right? Uh, yes, uh, Lord willing. I'm going to take my wife and five kids and we're going to stay for about eight weeks. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I saw where you're going to be staying uh, when I was there the, over the last three weeks, and man, that's, that's going to be really cool. That's awesome. Right. That. Well, great. Well, uh, Neil, man, we're grateful for this opportunity to learn from you. And and before we begin, though, I uh, want to let everyone know, as we do it every episode, that this episode is brought to you by the South Sudanese Bright Stars. And their <laughs> football team is doing great. They're They're winning. Quite a bit, Matt. We we heard about them quite a bit when we were in South Sudan. Uh, there in Nimule. Uh, how are they doing now? Do you think? I don't know. I uh, hope they're doing well. Um, last article I read is you know don't just think basketball when you think of South Sudan. Uh, think think football too. Um, real football, not the one you play with or you know an actual foot. So um, so yeah, I think uh, hopefully they'll they'll continue. I know they just beat the Congo, and uh, yeah, so hopefully hopefully they continue to win. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, cool. Well, Neil, uh, as we begin here, I know uh, each one of our team members has prepared some questions uh, for you, and so we're looking forward to learning from you again. So, Mike, if you'll kick off uh, our time of learning. Hey, thanks. Yeah, Neil, it's great. It's great to meet you on the <clears> on <throat> via video. <laughs> yeah good uh, to see you yeah thanks and um we've not ever met before but i'm aware of you especially with your writings on organic church um and uh you know you got to spend a little time meeting some of our our guys 
And, um, you know, for folks who don't maybe know us, we're, a, you know, a smaller missions group that is committed to a, you know, a, a non-residential missionary model. So we like to empower local indigenous leaders for church, for church planning, mostly Sudan, South Sudan, of course, DR Congo really honestly may be the best. <laughs> some of some other, definitely some of the best guys we work with. So you got to meet like the real top, top notch guys. Um, and then also into some other countries, but um, you know, I, I was thinking to be too self-serving just to ask you about empower one, but like whether it's us here that you're looking at now, or just, you know, other missions groups about our size, like, you know, what, what would you say, Hey, here's the things I think you guys ought to stay focused on, or maybe what you're, you've seen over or your experience that, you know, again, for our context and our size and, and the way we're doing it, like, what, what advice would you have? Like, man, just here's the things I'd keep my eye on. Yeah. Well, um, what I do, what I do like that I see is, uh, it's, it's, uh, all indigenous leaders that you guys are, are working with. That's, that's a, already a step ahead of many organizations um and they're high quality folks they they want to learn they're hungry and for learning they're uh doing the work i think their obedience is ahead of their knowledge which is (laughs) if that's even possible that's (laughs) normally it's normally the opposite with with christians where they're they're uh they're educated beyond their obedience um so that's that's encouraging uh, I was only really with the Congolese, but well, there was a couple of people from South Sudan who joined us, and I was impressed with them too. Um, I my my caution to most mission agencies is to uh, be really discerning on the staff that you hire, um, and I'm not talking about the indigenous staff, but. Um, it, it becomes easy to hire staff that may not assess well as church planters or missionaries, but they're able to raise support. And that alone qualifies them to be on staff for a lot of mission organizations that exist based on a percentage of the money raised. I don't know this about you guys. I've never talked with Chad about any of this, but um, for you're asking me in general about mission yeah, mission agencies absolutely. like yours. It it oftentimes what happens is they end up getting a very bloated staff of people who don't actually do the church planting work, but they raise funds easily, so it's hard to let them go, and it keeps the the institution running, but not the mission, and that's oftentimes a problem I run into with especially some of the more established, older um, mission agencies. So I would always caution not to do that. Um, you know, I'd say, I'd say that most, we could save billions of dollars in missions if we sent fewer people, but we sent the right types of people. Mm-hmm. If we sent apostles and prophets and didn't send evangelist shepherds and teachers, we could see the work flourish indigenously multiply rapidly and spread from people group to people group in a relatively quick time. You know, Paul with a a prophet by his side, whether that was Barnabas or Silas was able to launch enough movements that in five or six different people groups in 10 years, he could say, I'm done and there's no place else for me to go. So I'm going to Spain now. 
Um, that's remarkable. And I think we can expect results of that size if we begin to release and support apostles and prophets for the work as opposed to the uh, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. Um, so if you are able to discern that and staff that way, that would be better. Um, even, even staffing indigenous leaders, I'd be cautious about U.S. dollars going to pay for indigenous nationals because that sets them up above their peers. And in a sense, it uh, oftentimes, um, while it might help them and their family in a big way, it slows down the mission when you do that. So those are a couple of cautions I, I throw out there. But when, when you're um, sorry, Chad, I'm going to follow up. When you uh, <laughs> when you're <clears throat> filtering for Americans or Westerners, and right, some have gone through some kind of maybe some testing or you know they've done assessments and and maybe they've scored. Oh, look, apostle. But I'm convinced there's a lot of folks who are. They love Jesus. They're they don't really realize that that's what their gifting is. They're just no. They're they're dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, what are some ways that what are markers that you look for that tell you this person is apostolic? Yeah. Well, it's actually much easier. Uh, I I would just say don't even the 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 inventories the the tests are not what you look at. That might be helpful in coaching or counseling or um, granting direction. But when it comes to staffing, uh, you you really, I would hold back. And if they can't multiply disciples, leaders, and churches in their own culture, in their own language, they're not going to do it by just getting a passport and going to another country. Mm. So I would, I would say first, make sure they're doing it in their own. They've already been doing it where they are. Uh, before I would send them as a missionary to catalyze movements overseas. That's that would be my advice. Saves you a lot of money. You don't have to assess somebody who's already proven themselves. Uh, it's it becomes very easy uh, to make a, a staffing decision at that point. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. And and staffing can be very different. So whereas most organizations will staff somebody who will be over a nation for years and years and years. I don't think apostles really want that. I think they want to have short-term assignments and keep jumping, you know, get something done, get it grow, roll, rolling indigenously, and then move on to another people group mm -hmm. shortly, quickly. Uh, I think that is, uh, that can help you too, because then you're hiring somebody, if you, if you want to put it in crass terms, you're hiring someone who will catalyze many movements as opposed to someone who will oversee one movement. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a lot of bang for your buck, but you have yeah. to hire someone who's proven it in their own context and culture and language. Yeah. That's They're good. not magically going to be able to do it just because they got on a plane and flew over the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah. That that's that's been the that's been the strategy for a long time, Neil. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only just getting acquainted with Empower One. And I was very impressed. <laughs> I was very impressed with the people on the ground and I've known Chad for years now. So uh, that gives you a bunch of points already. Yeah. But you asked me in general about all kinds of mission agencies, your age, your size. Yeah. And that's, that would be my counsel. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I asked it that way. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just think of how much money you'd save the, 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 the church in general 
if you're hiring someone to catalyze multiple movements and multiple nationalities and never create a dependency on them, um, you know, you, you don't have to hire a hundred staff members when five to seven could reach the whole world <laughs> and do it faster and healthier. So I think God has designed these gifts for purposes like that. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's easy for us to say Paul is set apart because, you know, he wrote scripture and, you know, he's the hero and the, the, the apostle of the Gentile church even to this day. But Paul would tell you, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul would tell you, you know, join in following my example, observe the pattern that I have done. He constantly is setting himself as an example for us to follow. I, if we cannot believe that, that what God did through Paul, he can do through us today, then I think there's a problem with our faith. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Jesus said greater works than I. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you, Neil. Well, Matt, you're up next. What questions do you have for Neil? Yeah. So when you start thinking of uh, church planting and I compare church planting in the West versus indigenous church planting, um, they look really different. Um, when you, when you think of like healthy biblical church planning model, like what scripture do you go to, to, um, to say, this is, this is how, this is the biblical model. And this is, this is, this works in any culture in the world. Yeah, that's, that's my, uh, you, that's what I, I bleed when you cut me. It's my, that's my passion is okay. that um, I, anything that I attempt to do in California where I live has to be able to work in Calcutta or I'm not going to do it. Okay. So um, because the great commission isn't just to start a big church, it's to reach the ends of the earth. And if what you're doing cannot go to Calcutta and it, and it only works in Southern California, then you need to scrap it and find something else. And that's kind of been my passion, my design. The way church planting has been done in the West, the problem is we're doing church planting. We're planting a church. And that's really not what we've been told to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I love to, I consider myself a church planner. And when people ask, I feel like the most noble thing I can say as, a, as an occupation of my life is church planting. Mm -hmm. So I value it to a, a high degree. But the Bible didn't tell us to plant churches. Mm. It told us to make disciples of all the nations. And if that's your focus, you're not going to be starting a worship service. Mm. You're going to be multiplying groups of disciples that are eventually becoming leaders and they will start churches. And that's a whole different approach. Um, but what we've done is we've inherited a model of church and then we call church planting to create that model. And that works maybe in the West, but it's not going to work for long in the West. And it's certainly not going to work in Sudan. Yeah. Um, so you have to, you really have to think differently if you're thinking globally. Okay. Yeah. And then I guess the, the shadow side of that question would be what is, what is something that people what's the most common mistake that you see that would um that would kill the church planning movement oh well um 
th- there's three things that kill church planning movements, big budgets, um, big buildings and big shots. <laughs> so okay. if, if you become dependent on any of those three things, you will not multiply. So if it costs a lot of money, it's not going to multiply. And most church planning efforts, I mean, when we were doing church planning in the 90s, we were spending $100,000 a pop per church. Mm-hmm. And they were not going to multiply ever. And and we were, I know some denominations that were spending upwards of a million per church. Mm-hmm. Well, if it costs that, you're not going to multiply that. Mm-hmm. That's just too expensive. Then uh, if you require a building, if you require brick and mortar, then if that's not organic, that's not going to multiply. It's everything's going to be centered around the building. And within a decade, that building will become so valuable to the people. It'll be the the house of God and it will take precedence over the people of God. That's common. That's not going to multiply. And the third thing is big shots. If you have to have a, a hired gun, that's the clergy, the professional who filters the scripture for people and stands in the gap between God and his people, that will prevent multiplication every single time. And that is something that we common, commonly do. So those are the three roadblocks to reproduction and movements. Okay. Thank you. Buildings, budgets, and big shots. <laughs> All right. Got it. It starts with B. That's a good Baptist uh, alliteration. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. We're great. Well, Zach, what do you have? Hey, Neil. Uh, so I've got uh, maybe a softball question that, that leads into one a little a little harder. But, um, you know, just we're working in a context on the other side of the world. We're taking uh, sometimes we're taking uh, people on trips with us. Um, it may be their first experience over there. And so um, whether we're meeting someone who comes to Christ for the first time there or here. Um, prayer, this idea of, of talking to God is could be foreign or that could have a lot of um, strings attached to it from preconceived notions. So what's your advice to someone that's a, a new believer or a new prayer? Yeah. Um, well, I, I remember being a new believer. And uh, I didn't, I thought that in order to pray, you had to have your hands like this. You had to be on your knees and there had to be stained glass somewhere and a candle lit or it wasn't prayer. And that's all I got because I grew up in a home that had no Christian influence whatsoever. And the only kind of understanding of spirituality I got was from TV (laughs) or the movies and ridiculous. So you want to set people free in their minds to understand prayer. And the best way to do that is just understand that prayer is communing with God Mm -hmm. and that God is ever presence, always there and always wanting to speak with you and hear from you. And that prayer is just a two way dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the the basics of it. And if you can get people to understand that, um, then they can live a life of constant prayer. Yeah, I think what you just said kind of spurred me to remember part of your book where it's this, the ability to commune with God, but there's still a reverence there because he's God. And so I loved, I loved that, that part. Um, And so second question is, um, man, 
in Sudan and South Sudan, you see people who live by faith and who can't depend on other things. And so I've personally been challenged to pray for God-sized things, for Bible story events to happen in my life and in others' lives and those around me. But, and there's this uh, tug and this wrestle of like doubt. I really believe this can happen. Um, is my, you know, a faith of a mustard seed, you know, can move a mountain, but am I just, so how do you, what's your encouragement to somebody who um, believes in the Lord, loves the Lord and wants to pray for God-sized things to happen and, and believe it? Well, you know, growing in faith means uh, um, you you have to take risk. You know, uh, I don't know who it was who said this, but a long time ago they said, how do you spell faith? It's R-I-S-K. Um, you have to step out on risk. And, and the thing is, is we're to continue growing in faith in all phases of our own growth, development, and maturity. So the more you live by faith, and in order to grow beyond that, it takes a greater leap, a greater uh, um, risk. Uh, you can't just slide in on past accomplishments or past risks that you've taken. So, you know, you look at Paul's life and the latter part of his life, uh, when he's most mature in his godliness and faith, he's facing some of his greatest struggles and challenges. Mm -hmm. Because we have to constantly be growing. It's not like you can't be content and plateau in your spiritual development. You have to always be uh, being challenged. And so um, uh, you find that in la later in life, the choices you make are, are even more stressful in a sense. Because you're, I mean, hopefully that's what it means to to walk with Christ for your life. And, you know, finishing well is not something you do at the end of your life. Finishing well is a decision you make every day of your life. Mm -hmm. You choose every day, I'm going to do whatever it takes so that at the end of my life, I'm running faster than I did at the beginning. I'm accomplishing more at the end than I did in my younger, youthful days when I had lots of energy. Mm -hmm. Well, that's rare. That's not very common. There's very few that do that. And part of the reason why is, is you keep growing in Christ, then the tests that come your way to, to produce even more growth are going to be more challenging, harder uh, tests. And that it's easy for people to say, I've had enough. It's time for me to just slide by. Uh, and that's, that's not finishing well. So um, you, you need to look for uh, people who, who are willing to take a bold, uh, make a bold change in their life, even in their 60s and 70s. That's that's rare, but that's what it takes. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's answering your question, but that's what came to my mind. Wow, that's that's great. I uh, I love Philippians 3:13, where Paul says, "Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead." Every day, right. we've yeah. got more to do. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we, we look at Paul's life and each journey he went on, 
the first journey, second journey, third journey, and then he had a fourth journey, which we don't usually include as a journey in our Bibles, but that when he was arrested and brought to Rome, every journey he improved. Yeah. Each journey he saw greater fruitfulness. Hmm. Um, so that in his last journey, he's under house arrest in Rome. He can't leave his apartment. And he has to pay the rent and can't work. Hmm. It's a challenge. But he never thought of it as that big of a challenge. Um, he wrote to the Philippians when they sent him a financial gift. He says, you know, I, I'm more appreciative of what this does for you than what it does for me. <laughs> but here he is stuck in his apartment. He can't leave his house. Yet he, This is his greatest fruitful mission that he's ever had, where he says later in Rome again, under imprisoned in Rome a second time, he says, my first imprisonment, no one stood with me, but all turned on me. But the gospel went to all the Gentiles. That's a pretty big mission field. That's everybody on the planet who's not Jewish. And he couldn't even leave his living room, and he reached all those people. It's amazing. And he's still reaching people because I read the letters he wrote during that mission mm -hmm. on a, all the time, and they're still enriching me. So if you keep pursuing Christ every day, then you will finish well. But that's what it takes. You know, you have to have this mindset that I will finish well or die trying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's what it means to finish well. And so you just look every day to advance in Christ and get better, get more in the image of Christ every day. Then you end up in a place where even if you have restricted access, you can't move around, uh, you feel like you have no influence. And it turns out that that difficult challenge ends up being your greatest fruitfulness. And you don't even know how it happened, but God just mm. does it. Like that. Well, um, I've got a few questions too, uh, as always in our time together. Uh, well, the first one is, you know, I, I spent three weeks in South Sudan in three different cities. And anytime I'm in a place where there's uh, a large amount of unreached people groups or, you know, a, a country that's very unreached, I'm always thinking about best practices for removing barriers to the gospel. So what are some, some best practices that you've seen lately in your travels? To remove barriers to the gospel. Yeah. Okay, so there's there, there's two kinds of barriers I, I will talk about. Mm -hmm. The first one is spiritual, and then next one is natural. Okay. Um, and the problem is most church planners only deal with the natural. Mm -hmm. They really don't recognize the need to deal with the spiritual. So the God of this world is blinding the minds of the unbelievers. That's what Paul wrote. Uh, the, the, the end in uh, Revelation, when the devil is cast down, it says that he was deceiving the whole world. Uh, so that is a block to movements. And it's spiritual in nature. And you can't fix that by being culturally relevant. You can't fix that with a better methodology. Because yeah. the weapons you have to use against that are not physical, they're not material, they're not, uh, they're, they're not of this world, they're spiritual in nature. Mm -hmm. And God has armed, especially the apostolic gift, 
you know, because Paul defending his apostolic gift in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses thirteen. Those those three four chapters are his defense of being an apostle, and that's where he says, "Our weapons are not of this world." Yeah. The our the collective um, pro- pronoun of uh, of the of the plural is us apostles have weapons for the destruction of fortresses risen up against the knowledge of God. So that is a barrier that apostle apostolic leaders have the ability to tear that down and open people up spiritually. And if we don't address that, if we don't start there, uh, we will, we'll be hitting a wall constantly, an invisible wall that won't allow any influence or impact. So I would start there. And the way to do that is to find those, those spiritual strongholds that have captivated and stolen the minds of the people. What is it? Is it uh, fear? Is it uh, uh, a lust for money? Is it, um, you know, there's all kinds. Is it, so look for those strongholds, look for the sources of those things in the culture and go there and fight that spiritually with prayer and uh, the authority of the scriptures and the authority of God. That's first, first barrier. Second barrier is cultural. And so at that point, what you have to do is uh, recognize that each culture is a reflection of, of what's inside the people collectively. Each of us carries around inside of us two things, the image of God and also the ugliness of sin. So as a missionary and you're going to a cross-cultural uh, you need to somehow discern what is the image of God in these people that is unique and special and the whole world needs to be blessed by that. Mm-hmm. When you find that, you discover that, you want to you wanna let them know this is special, this is from God, this is beautiful, and the rest of us in the world need this. Yeah. And that's going to that's gonna encourage them. And so, you know, you give them the good news first, but there's also some bad news. There's some ugliness in your culture that the gospel has to counter. Mm-hmm. And part of the problem with missions is oftentimes we try to be culturally relevant, mm-hmm. to adapt to that culture. And in so doing, the culture adapts us. The culture starts to change us. And we're no longer a change agent. We're being changed. Yeah. So the gospel is countercultural. It is going to transform. In order for that to happen, there has to be a letting go among the people of something that is natural for them, something that they will, they've carried with them their whole life, but it is an obstacle to the gospel. It is sinful. And many places in the world, that's a hierarchical worldview that thinks some people are better people than others. Yeah. And, and uh, when, that, when that hierarchy, that's a satanic thing that is everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. uh, but there are some cultures in which it is... Uh, overwhelming in its dominance and in its uh, cultural suppression Mm -hmm. of the gospel. You have to address that. And you have to address that with the gospel. That's the only, the only the good news of Jesus can counter culture and people accept it. It can't just be my assessment of your culture is not as good as this. That's not going to work. But, but the gospel itself, Jesus has to speak to them and say, you know what? All people are beloved by God. Mm-hmm. All people are equal in my eyes uh, as far as my love goes. And 
There is no one who is higher or better or stronger or smarter. Um, that that the, a small child with Jesus is equally empowered before God uh, as the most mature saint. So I, I think that that the gospel can do that, and it need and if it's not doing that, you you're not sharing the gospel in its fullness and its completeness. So those are two different obstacles. First, address things spiritually. Yeah. Secondly, culturally. The follow-up question, how do you address yeah. this? So you mentioned church planners often don't do that. How? What are some ways that they can do that? Spiritually, you said? Yes. Okay. Um, okay, so I, I, I go to a place. Well, first of all, there's a there's a dynamic dynamic team that is sent on the mission field in the new testament it's a it's an apostle and a prophet two things the, we call them the start and go team the evangelist shepherd and teacher are the stay and grow team they build on the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets so apostles and prophets are the foundation layers of the church and uh i have discovered by walking in ministry with one prophet for for almost 30 years now that when we travel together things happen in a different way something happens and part of it is the the prophet is the navigator the prophet can show you where the sources of evil are influencing the the people group or the culture and then bring you right to that place where then that apostolic authority that tears down strongholds can can fight against the demonic forces. You're actually, <laughs> this is where the war is. You know, like Paul says, our, our struggle is not against politicians and nationalities and philosophical systems. Mm -hmm. It's against demonic forces, against uh, uh, rulers and authorities and principalities and world forces of darkness in this world <laughs> fallen angels this is what we're dealing with and if you can't if that's not in your scope of your weapon then you're just dealing with the material physical world then you're you're probably not going to have near the effectiveness so i would uh encourage all apostolic leaders to learn to be more comfortable around a, a prophet you bring a prophet along on your team. That's a challenge because prophets prophets can be weird to apostles. <laughs> yeah. And, and you got to you got to get over that. And that's a challenge yeah. to do. And then it's hard. It's a lot of hard work for a prophet to have patience yeah. with an apostle because the apostle tends to do all these things on on the ground, these earthly things, these, you know, methodologies that are man-made and the prophet doesn't have much time or patience for that um so both gifts rub each other the wrong way you got to get past that so i encourage all apostles to not be content with their ministry if they don't have if they don't have prophetic help and vice versa i would say to prophets um you don't know you're missing half of your influence if you don't have an apostle in your life uh, so learn to overcome those things and if if the people who start the church can't get along, the church is never going to get along. Yep. <laughs> so if we don't have love for people different from our 
cells in the very DNA of the beginning of the church, it's never going to just suddenly appear. That's great. Thank you. And I love how you unpack Ephesians 4. Will you do that for us, the, the APEST illustration? Oh, yeah. Um, so <laughs> there are five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And they're like five systems in the body. So um, the, the apostle is like the glandular system uh, that is a foundational system. It, it, it secretes the chemicals necessary for the formation, growth, development, and reproduction of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so the prophet is like the central nervous system to make sure every part of the body is connected with the head, which is Jesus, the brain, mm-hmm. and responsive immediately to his impulse. The evangelist is like the skeletal structural body, part of the body, the, the posture, the, the be able to reach out with a grip and hold on to somebody and pull them out of the water mm-hmm. when they're drowning. The, um, Shepherd gift is like the heartbeat, the circulatory system, making sure the body's kept warm, making sure that it is well nourished, mm-hmm. and also making sure that it is uh, fighting off infection. Yeah. And then the teacher is like the uh, um, digestive system to make sure we're receiving the nourishment we need to have the energy to compete in this world and to do what God has asked us to do. And the teacher is also valuable at eliminating waste. So those systems are necessary. And I often teach this with the, the, the fingers of the hand, the apostles like thumb, I'm out of here. I'm taking a ride to the next town, hitching a, a ride to the next town. They're, they're often on a journey. The prophet is like the index finger, straight and narrow. Um, and when you're in a business meeting for a weekend and you're putting post-it notes up all over the wall with plans for three years and five years and 10 years, and you finally get it all figured out, the prophet's going to ruin all your weekend by just asking one simple question. Let's ask God what he wants us to do and mess everything up. They're also the navigator that says, that's the place you need to look. Here's where you're going to find a person of peace. This is the people group we need to go after. These people are ready now. Those people are not ready yet. You need to have that kind of navigation on the mission field. And when you have that compared with the apostle, you have a weapon in the hands of God against an enemy that is unseen. But they oftentimes don't get along. And when they don't get along, everybody loses. The evangelist is like the middle finger that reaches out further than all the others. And the one that usually first defends people. The ring finger is like the shepherd who wants to communicate to the world, I'm committed to one bride till death do us part. Mm-hmm. And that's what distinguishes the shepherd from the hireling. They will lay their life down for the sheep. Um, and when you make a fist and you try to raise just your shepherd finger alone, it doesn't. it's not very easy because shepherds, they find their fulfillment with others, not alone. The, ri- the, the pinky is like the teacher wants to make sure you get all the good stuff inside and can be a little picky at times and it is a necessary gift, but it's, but it's the weakest of them all. Um, It's important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not as important that we need to set up the entire system of Christianity to produce one gift, the teacher. Um, And that's the only one in the Bible where it literally says, let not many become teachers. We don't need as many teachers as we, we typically uh, produce. 
And the reason we do that is we had a coup in the body of Christ where the teacher taught us that apostles and prophets are no longer for today. Then they taught us that according to the Greek grammar, shepherds and teachers are really one gift. And what they do is teach. And look what they did to us. Don't Instagram that. That that would not be good. But they left, they left the evangelists outstanding on their own in the field. And the evangelists had to leave the church and start a parachurch organization just to reach people for Christ. Yeah. Um, and this was a, a mistake. Yeah. We need all five gifts. The Greek grammar actually does not say these two gifts are one. They, they are distinct gifts. Apostles and prophets are for today. Uh, and they all five gifts are until, according to Paul, they are given until we all reach the fullness of the image of the, of the manifest uh, uh, ministry of Christ. And until then, yeah. and we haven't reached that yet, the fullness of Christ, then we need these gifts and we need all five. That's awesome. Thank you. I love that, man. That's I learned something new every time you, you share that. Thank you. for doing <laughs> that. That's really sure. cool. Yeah. Well, and then uh, just a final question, what are you working on next? I know you're always thinking about new projects, new opportunities. What's next? Yeah. So, um, the, I'm working on a book right now called sent, which is just on the apostolic gift. Yeah. And then, I, the newest teaching for me is on the foundational element of apostles and prophets. And that's what we've been teaching, starting to really refine our understanding of how these gifts work together, how to get them to uh, overcome their differences, and um, why it's necessary to have both. Mm-hmm. And so that's, we call that uh, training foundation. And that will be the book in a year or so. And I'm also working on, there's a book I wrote a while back that went out of print called Journeys to Journeys of Paul, as looking at Paul's life. I just rewrote that, um, revised it for a younger generation. Uh, the first book was more aimed at pastors, teachers, and uh, missionaries and people in professional ministry service. Mm. But I want the book to be available to all people. So I've written it with a younger audience that are not uh, Christian. It's not so leadership. But that book is in the process of being edited now. And that will be re-released sometime in the summer. Wow, man. We can't wait to read that. That's awesome. Thank you for for sharing. Man, as always, I've learned so much from our time together. I appreciate you investing in us. Man, thank you for investing in our Empower One Church Planners, too. Uh, we're really grateful for that. I know uh, their request that is that next uh, time we come uh, later this year, that we stay for at least 10 days and teach for 10 days instead of just three. So well, great. Well, I hope I hope I have enough material. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank everyone, man. We we are so grateful for everyone that joined us uh, for this sixth episode. Thank you, Neil, uh, just for sharing your heart with us and wisdom and experience. And thank you guys on our team uh, for the great questions, the great conversations. And so as we close this episode, we want to just remind you to to, to pray for uh, church planners, especially our Empower One church planners. We know that movement requires prayer and there's spiritual warfare always when you 
seek to uh, do something that's sort of historic as the Empower One church planners are doing in the five countries that we're in in Northeast Africa. So please continue to pray for them. Uh, thank you so much for your time. As always, we're very grateful for our partners who invest their, their time and treasure into this movement. So uh, we can't wait to see you next episode. The seventh episode is coming up. We look forward uh, to seeing you again. Thank you so much for joining us and take care.